Last week, we launched into this series about uh, spiritual disciplines is what we're going to be talking about. And if you missed that, I highly encourage you to, to seek out that podcast and listen to it. it um, I mean, it's what we're going to be doing all summer in various ways. But uh, that did a way better job um, explaining the things that I can as we start off today because we've got to get moving on this. But uh, the other thing I want to remind you of is I mentioned this last week. Next week, starting next week, we are going to shift some things around with our services for summer. And so those of you that have, have kids, this is going to affect you probably the most. Uh, we're going to drop our kids off across the hall um, before service. And we're actually going to move worship to the back end of the service, uh, at least for the summer. We want to try that for a little bit. But also, some of the things that we want to do related to the spiritual disciplines and, and trying some of those things here, um, it, it kind of it, it'll help us facilitate that. So the shift is that worship will now be uh, at closer to the end of service. So that affects you parents. You can drop your kids off. And the other thing I should mention, it doesn't mean our kids won't be with us uh, when worship starts to begin, uh, we'll have a way to get those guys and girls back over here to you to hang out with you during worship, so they won't miss that or any of those things like that. So just a little heads up there. That'll be next week, and we'll have somebody at the door to kind of guide you and remind you of that as you come in. So when we kicked this thing off last week, I told you that any time that we're pursuing like one of these disciplines, and they're things like studying scripture, meditating upon the word or on God, giving, serving. I mean, there's a whole list of them, and depending on whose book you read, the list could be really long or could be really, really short. But the point I tried to make last week was this, that, that these aren't about getting brownie points with God. They're not earning favor. They're not earning salvation. It has nothing to do with making God love us more because that's impossible. He loves you, right? He loved us. He loved us first. And then he sent his son. No, these things are all about practically responding to that love. He already made the overture. I mean, we worship because he is worthy of worship, right? And so all these things that we do, it's, it's not some kind of thing where we want to put a bunch of things on ourselves because we have to do this stuff. It's to have like a deeper, closer connection with God uh, in some ways. It's a way to pursue that. And so as I was kind of getting ready for this thing, uh, I'll tell you, it was rough. And the reason I say that is, it's already revealing things in my spiritual life. And I'm like, man, God, so I have to get up and I have to stand in front of all these people and talk about something that, frankly, I'm really lame at. You know, it's like maybe I should have thought this through just a little bit before I agreed to do this, you know. I mean, how, how can I, like, challenge people for this deeper pursuit of you when I've not even mastered this stuff? And then I felt like he said to me, he's like, listen, because he always starts with listen, right? Listen. Um, you say, Bill, that you want me to change hearts in this city and that you want me to use this community of people to do that. Well, how about you let me start with yours first? And then we'll worry about all the other stuff. So that's what I'm going to do, and that's what I'm inviting you guys to do. I don't stand up here today as an expert in any of these things. I stand up here as a brother to you, as a part of this community, to say these are the things that God's calling us to do. And um, so that's where we're at. And discipleship, the interesting thing about discipleship is it's a personal journey. 
You know, it's something that God does at us individually, but it's also a collective, like a, a group, a community journey too. You, you are a disciple with other people. I mean, Jesus had multiple people around him that were his disciples. And so it's, it's this sort of weird kind of functionality. But the cool thing is, is that God grows all of us together at the same time in different ways. And that's kind of exciting to me. So once we understand... Uh, these structures, I call them structures in our lives. Once we understand how these things work and what they can do, uh, they can really help us remain connected to God, like in this maybe more continual way than just uh, living a life and kind of, okay, well, i got to go into church on Sunday, and then i go on Wednesday and get my refill, you know, that it could be something that's happening all the time. And so that's our goal, and that's our prayer. And in fact, I just want to pray real quick as we start. God, I just pray that, um, again, that you would do... Only the work that you can in our hearts. Uh, that all that you want to accomplish in us, God, that, uh, that you would, that we would allow you to do that. That we would give you the freedom and, and surrender uh, whatever it is that we need to so that we can have that closer relationship with you. So as we talk about these things, God, and maybe even things that challenge us over the next few weeks, I pray uh, that uh, we would hear your voice clearly and uh, that we would obey your voice in the things that you challenge us to do. And... All these things are in your son's name. Amen. So when you talk to people about spiritual disciplines, you know, that word discipline I said last week is one that we don't like very much usually. And so there's usually two barriers to spiritual disciplines. And the first one is just ignorance. It's like we don't really know what the disciplines are or why they're even important. You know, it's like, well, that's kind of an ancient thing. Or, well, I had a Catholic friend that used to do that, but that doesn't seem like that's that big of a deal for me. And so part of it is that we just don't know that these things are helpful, that, that they can help us. But the other part of it is a practical part. Like maybe we have a desire to grow closer to God, but we're just like, I don't know how to do that. Like I've, I did the thing that this guy told me and it worked for a while, but then I just felt like it didn't work. And so part of this is practical as well. And so in our time over the next few weeks, we're going to try and address both of those things because we want, folks, if we're believers, we want to connect with God at a deeper level. We don't want his presence in our lives to be just sort of like these little touchstone moments or the moments where we throw the Hail Mary prayer up and we're like, okay, I really need you now, right? We want, we want this continue. I mean, you've met that person and that person that has God just like continuously speaking to him and you know it, like in the way that they talk with you and the way they speak with you. And it's like, man, I want that. This is one of the ways that, that we can get there, that we can have that too in our lives. And so I call this place sometimes a worship laboratory. And if you, you haven't been here very long, what I mean by that is laboratories are places where experiments happen. Laboratories are places where creativity happens. And so uh, all of the things that we do here, uh, whether it's singing or whether we're reading scripture, all those things are part of that worship experience. And so I really want all of us to look at this place as an environment where we can try stuff. Where we can take a step out, where if, if you can't be comfortable here with all of these other jacked up people sitting next to you, with this dude up here wearing a Batman Hawaiian shirt, like if, if that doesn't like lower your expectations just a little bit and make you comfortable, you need another piece of Laffy Taffy. Okay, so... So I was thinking, like, how do I start this thing? Like, which one do I start with? They're, all of them are really good. They're all awesome. How, where do we go? And I think we need to start by stopping. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? We're going to talk about meditation today. And I know when you see this word, this word is a huge buzzword right now. It's all over the news and in science and all that. People are talking about this word. 
And I know that this particular word, especially in Christian circles, conjures up all sorts of images. And I'm going to address those in just a second. But first, I want to talk about the science very, very quickly of meditation. There's this current trend in business and in management circles, and science is confirming, has been for a long time, the benefits of meditation. Positive brainwave activity, reduced anxiety, improved memory, lower blood pressure, increased creativity. Those are just a few. But there's this new study that just came out that says that meditation on a regular basis combined with some type of physical activity actually can change us genetically, which is crazy to think about that. It can change us genetically. And so in their example, they talk about breathing exercises and yoga and stuff like that. But I would say that even stretching or kneeling or prayer positions uh, could also work for this. But the idea is this, and I have a quote. This is kind of sciencey and very teachy, but we won't stay here very long. So meditation can suppress the expression of genes and genetic pathways. This will all make sense to Andrea Simpson. uh, That promote inflammation. Researchers found that people who practice these activities regularly had fewer signs of inflammation, including a decrease in their production of inflammatory proteins. This signals the reversal of the molecular signature of the effects of chronic stress, they wrote, which may translate to a reduced risk of inflammation-related diseases and conditions. What in the world does that mean? Basically, it means this, that when we meditate, when we think upon something, when we stop and we dedicate, we focus our thoughts on something, that uh, it changes us. And not only that, it goes on to say that it can change, that it can turn genes on and off, and it can have a real effect on disease risk, Uh, life expectancy, and even what traits get passed on to future generations. That's crazy. You know, we're so apt to go and take a medicine for something or seek out, uh, and I have nothing against those things, I want to be clear. But sometimes we wonder why we struggle with all these things that maybe previous generations didn't struggle with as much. We talk about all the time with uh, people dying from heart-related and stress-related issues. That, that's increased. And seemingly more people struggling with anxiety and depression and lack of focus and mental clarity impeding their productivity. And listen, I'm not saying that there's not other factors involved in that because I know that there are. There's lots of environmental factors. And I'm not a doctor, but I do play one on TV. However... I would suggest that one reason this happens, one reason these things are more prevalent, is because we don't have that intimate connection with our Creator, maybe in the way that people in the past and past generations did. Uh, Just try and escape sound. Try that once in your life. Try to go somewhere where you can't hear any type of man-made sound. It's next to impossible now. I think that people back in the day, so to speak, had the opportunity for solitude, uh, for quietness, and they had to get used to those things. And so I think we're wired for this, folks, is what I'm trying to say. I think our creator has wired us for this connection, and he knows that these things are good for us. And so I think we've just simply lost the art when it comes to meditating upon God. And so just to clarify, when you hear the word meditation, your mind probably goes to this place where you imagine this really scrawny bearded yogi sitting on some type of a mountain in a lotus position, maybe chanting or making weird noises or talking in a strange language to people, some kind of Eastern guru or yoga instructor, right, inviting you to detach yourself from everything. Let your thoughts fall away like the wind, right? That kind of thing. How many, when you say that word, that's what you think of, right? 
Right. Cool. That's the idea of like Eastern meditation where they want you to detach yourself from everything. But the interesting thing about what we're going to talk about is that biblical meditation is the complete opposite of that. Actually, biblical meditation is the concept where we attach ourselves to something, actually to someone. Meditation has long been a part of Jewish and Christian worship. And I just have a small definition for you here. Biblical meditation asks us to stop and focus our thoughts and attention on the Lord through his word, contemplating his power through creation, pondering his works and other aspects of his character as revealed to us. So again, it's the complete opposite of this total abandonment. We're actually focusing our thoughts on God. We're concentrating on our creator is what we're doing. We're putting our energies there. We're taking a moment where we are shutting things out. It's a moment of focus. And in the book of Joshua, we see meditation actually linked to the success of God's people. And if you're not familiar with the story, Moses has just died, and he's the bomb. Like, he's the greatest prophet that has ever lived. Everybody loved Moses. But remember, God's people blew it, and so they were not allowed to go into the promised land. And so now they come up to this point where Joshua is being uh, sort of commissioned to take this role. And Moses has already had some conversations with them to tell him this. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two dudes that way back in the day when they were about to take the promised land, they were only two guys that believed that they could do it. All of the other spies came back and said, oh, those giants are way too big. I mean, those grapes are huge, but who cares? There's giants in the land. And so the two guys that believed were outvoted, basically. And so God said, you know what? You guys can't go in. Until this generation passes away, uh, you guys are going to wander around the desert for just a little bit longer because obviously there's some hard work that needs to be done, right? So Moses got to cruise with those guys around the desert. And so Moses, the last of his generation, passes away, and the mantle is now passed to Joshua. And for Joshua, I mean, think about this. Moses had some seriously big sandals to fill, fill, you know? And so you're the guy, and everybody's looking to you to lead them now into this thing that they've been waiting like 40 years for or longer. This thing that they've been promised. You're going to lead them there, and you frankly don't necessarily uh, know what you're doing. Because Moses had this relationship with God that was intimate. I mean, it was like a closeness, like a friend. They would have these conversations, and uh, they would meet in the tent of meeting, and God would show up there, and he would talk with Moses. And it talks about Joshua always being around that situation. So he says, it says here in Exodus 33, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, which is pretty cool. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. And there's a dad joke right there. Who's the only fatherless man in the Bible? Joshua, son of Nun. Yeah, see? There you go. Um, hey, it's on the spot. What do you expect? So, uh, in other words, Joshua was there, right? He was hanging out. He was in the presence all the time when Moses was meeting with God. So I imagine he got to, like, soak up a lot of that, right? He got to see it happening. He got to observe it. But he was also there because he was responsible for protecting that tent, And so for this and many other reasons, he was the right man for the job. But he wasn't convinced yet, okay? So listen to what the Lord tells him directly as he commissions Joshua for this responsibility. Here's what he says in Joshua 1, starting with verse 8. 
God says to Joshua, yes, keep this book of the Torah on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you will take care to act according to everything written in it. Then your undertakings will prosper and you will succeed. Haven't I ordered you? Be strong, be bold. So don't be afraid or downhearted because Adonai, your God, is with you wherever you go. Now, something that you've missed because we didn't put the whole uh, section up here, but God tells him in that passage three different times to be bold and be strong, or your version might say to be courageous. But how does he ask him to do this? How does God expect Joshua to do this? He says, keep the book of the Torah on your lips and what? Meditate on it day and night. So Joshua had to take the time to internalize God's word, and then he had to meditate on it. He had to think about it. He had to act upon what he found there. And here's what's cool. The Hebrew word that's used here for meditate is a word called hagah. Okay, say that with me. Hagah. It's kind of fun. You get to do that, especially after you've been crying during worship. Hagah, right? That's what it sounds like. So you have this word, hagah, and it actually reveals a secret about meditation as far as biblical meditation, that we can only discover by going all the way back to elementary school. Do you guys remember what an onomatopoeia is? Okay, just in case you don't, you've forgotten. An onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like its meaning. For example, bees buzz, right? That's what bees do. If you throw a rock into a pond, it goes splash. A firecracker goes off with a loud pop, right? And when the kid needs their parent, they go off with a loud, ah, right? That's what happens. Those are all words that sound like their action. And so this word hagah is the same case. The word meditate here is the word hagah. It's a Hebrew word. Now, typically when we think of meditation, and we talked about this just a minute ago, we think of this quiet reflection. I'm going to stand out here. In the dark, and I'm going to reflect upon all the Lord has done for me. Think about this peaceful. And it can be that. That's actually good. This idea that we get from Joshua here is that we should quietly reflect on God's law day and night. If we read it at surface, right? But the literal meaning of Hagah, this only slightly captures the intent of this author that wrote this, okay? So Hagah can also mean to growl. Or to mutter. Which is interesting. And some people connect that with uh, different faith traditions that would maybe chant. Or you know, Jewish traditions that would chant the Torah. Or they would say it in a low voice under their breath. And that can certainly be a part of that. But Hagah is also an onomatopoeia for what a hungry lion does when he's seeking food. So, if you've seen any of the Planet Earth videos... You know exactly what this is like. This is the driest region in the world. And all of the animals have gathered around the watering hole. What's going to happen now? The water is shrinking, and by the end of this summer, all of the water will be gone. Right? We've all been there. Yes, planet Earth. And so the lion comes cruising into this situation, and the lion has not had a snack for a while. The lion is hungry. And what does the lion do? All right? That's the lion walking into the situation, starving, seeking food. 
He's desperate for something to eat. Does that sound like meditation to you? The meditation maybe that you've heard? It's all about being hungry for God's word. It's all about being hungry so much for God that you're internalizing him. And that's not just like a little bit hungry. It's not like the weekend and Wednesday night snacks, right, that we like to hand out. It's like you're starving. Ha-ha! I have to have this. Ha-ha! Try that in the Christian bookstore sometime. The point of this meditation is that it is driven by an active hunger for God. This thing that we need to have stirred up in us because sometimes it's just not there. So in the most general sense, if I could define this meditation, it's thinking in a controlled manner. It means deciding exactly how one wishes to direct the mind for a period of time and then doing it. And we all know that our thoughts have power, right? So it's like Paul said in Philippians 4 where he busts out this list of stuff. Like He's like, think about all of this excellent stuff that we've been taught about the Lord. Things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and praiseworthy. And then he goes on to say, when we practice this, the God of peace will be with us. When we occupy our minds with these things, things of the Lord, remembering the things that we've been taught, His peace is with us. So Haggah is one word that's used in Scripture to represent meditation, but there are a lot of other words that you can look for, and these all have similar meanings. To think upon something, to consider, to ponder, to observe, to contemplate, and one of my favorites, to ruminate. And that last one, ruminate, has a word picture that goes with it as well. To ruminate on something means that you turn it over and over and over in your mind. You keep thinking about it, and the best picture of it is a cow. We're all over the animal farm here today. Think about a cow, right? The cow that has the four-chambered stomach or whatever's going on there. What do cows do? They go out and they consume as much grass as they can. And if you're a farmer, just be quiet right now, okay? (laughs) No, I know this is true. At least part of this is true. So a cow goes out and they eat some grass. And they try to snarf it all up. And they swallow it. And they might chew it a little bit. But then later on, that cow's kind of cruising around, right? And all of a sudden, and he erps up the grass. And he chews on it some more. The whole idea is that, number one, grass is hard to digest, apparently. But number two, that they want to get every bit of nutrients out of that grass as they can. So they erp it up. They chew on it for a while. Then they swallow it again. And later on, they're cruising down by their shady spot. They erp it up again. They chew on it some more. And then they swallow it again. I don't know how many times this happens, but... That's the idea of ruminating on something. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? So when we ruminate ruminate on God's word, what we're doing is we keep bringing it back up to our minds and turning it over and over again. We're thinking about it. We're considering it. We're trying to figure out, okay, how does this work and how does it work in my life and what are you trying to say in this thing, God? But also trying to find like all the connections with the other things that we know to be true about our Father. And so that's why... God says here in this part that he wants the Torah to constantly be on Joshua's lips. And that's why God's word should constantly be on our hearts and our minds and our lips all the time as well for the very same reason. So to wrap this up, the question is, okay, well, how do I practically do this? I mean, that's all great. I'm on board. It sounds fantastic. I'll be the cow. I'll be the lion. I really don't care. 
But how? How do we do it? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I have a few suggestions. The first one is this. Meditate on the person of God. And what I mean by that is like if you look at the Psalms, especially the ones that were written by King David, he was like the bomb at this. Just talking about the person of God, like who he is. Not asking him for stuff. I mean, I'm sure there's songs about that somewhere too, but and even parts of those psalms. But he was really good about just talking about the person of God. And we have that verse there from Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So he's always putting God in front of him, in the front of his thoughts. That's the idea here as you meditate upon the Lord. And if you're trying like frantically to take these notes, I can give them to you later. So don't stress about having all the verses if you can't keep up. It's okay. So it's simply thinking about God's character. God's goodness, his majesty, his power, his names is a great place to start. Like all the different Hebrew names for God is a great place. Because you can take one of those every week and just think about that. And think about what that means and research those words. Like there's so many things that you can do there. And, of course, his attributes. So that's one way, meditating on the person of God. Number two, meditation on God's word. Now this one should seem obvious to most of us probably, but... Really digging into scripture and meditating on it. And another thing I should mention about like spiritual disciplines, a lot of these will cross over. So we're definitely going to talk about studying God's word at another point during the summer and some things like that. But meditation on God's word, it's actually what our key verse today was in Joshua uh, chapter 1. That's what that was all about. But we also have this verse in Psalm 119, which is kind of the meditation chapter in Psalms. That's a great place to start too. Uh, Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. Think about that. I will delight in the things that you command me to do, God. And I will not forget your word. Now, this is different in some ways about than just studying the Bible for face value. You know, one of the things that happens a lot is like you get to New Year's and you're like, I'm going to read through that Bible in a year. I'm going to get her done this year, right? And you get out your little thing that you downloaded and printed out and it's got all little check boxes and you get to like the chronology in Exodus and then you're done, right? Like, oh, that's a lot of names. I'll just put that off to Wednesday. This is different than that kind of reading. I think everybody should read through the the Bible. That's a great idea. But if we're just trying to check that reading off of our daily to-do list, I'm not sure that that's what God wants of us when it comes to Scripture. I think we might be missing the point is the best way to say that. We should build time in our lives where we can linger And I know that may seem weird to you if you've never read the Bible in that way, but where you come across something and it captures your imagination. And it could be just one verse. Like, I wonder what happened to the goat in this verse. No, not that. But like something that that like gets your imagination started. And you're like, ah, I want to know what's going on with this. Or maybe it's just you like it. Maybe it's something like, this is a promise for me right now. My life is really not good in this area, and I'm going to hold on to this promise. And so what you do is you take that, that verse and you start to ruminate on it. You start to think about it. Maybe even look at it in other translations. Maybe write it down in your own words. Write it down verbatim and put it on your dashboard. Put that thing in front of you everywhere that you go. So that it will constantly... I mean, people at work will be tired of you. Well, you know that Proverbs 3, you told me yesterday, seriously. No, I mean, God wants us to dig in. And it's not like this speed race. It's a marathon. 
we've got all of our lives to love and appreciate this, but we've but we got to dig in. It's important. And so uh, we should have this time built into our lives where we stop and meditate on the word. It's not just about like reading for distance, but it's reading for specifics. Like those cows, right? Open it up, chewing on it some more. Another thing you can do with this is you can involve all of your senses. And this is scientific, but it's also uh, biblical too. Science suggests that we learn better when we involve more than one of our senses. Did you know that? So if you're just reading with your eyes and you're not like, you know, reading along, but you read silently or whatever, that's, that's fine. Um, but many of like the ancient practices, chanting, reading scripture aloud, those ideas may seem weird to us. But they do have a benefit because we're doing multiple things at once, and it causes all of these connections in our brain. So if you read something aloud, you're not only reading it with your eyes and it's going into your brain, right? But you're processing it, and then you're speaking it, so you're using your mouth. But you're also hearing it, so you're using your ears, your whole body's kind of doing the same thing. And some, some of those folks would even like chant or they would sway or they would do something physical as a part of that whole process. And that may seem weird to you, but hey, we're here in worship and we raise our hands. Some of you like to cut a jig every now and then, and I am down with that. I mean, God wants all of us, right? Every part of us. And so that's just one of the ways that could be really beneficial for you. And if that freaks you out, well, you can do it by yourself. It's not like you have to be with other people. But like I said, singing and worship is another example. So there we go, meditation on God's word. That's a way that we can do that. Uh, The third one is meditation on the works of God. And this one is usually pretty easy for most of us, but it's all the stuff that he's done, all of the things that he's accomplished. So Psalm 77, 12, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalm 111, 12. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Think about that, studying his great works. That's interesting to me. So, And then you have a few more verses there. But this is not only in the grand sense of what we see in Scripture, because Scripture is full of stuff that he's done. I mean, that's one of the things that all of the disciples in the New Testament talked about. And everyone was amazed at what the Lord had done. And then he went and told everybody, and the whole town went bananas, right? Like, over and over again, they were talking about, they were meditating on the works of God in a very practical, real-life way. It's like, dude, you wouldn't believe what just happened at my church. There was this lady, and, you know, I mean, it's just, God can use that stuff in our hearts and in the hearts of others. It's amazing. So, in the grand sense, we can do that biblically, but this whole personalizing it thing, think about what he's done for you. That's another angle that you can take on this. Think about just the things that God has done for you. That is a great way to combat things like depression and anxiety. When you start to remember, and if you can't think of anything, think harder. Seriously, you're alive. You're breathing. We just sang about it, right? He's saved you. He's preserved you. He has a purpose for you. You probably have people in your life that love you. Chocolate shakes, whatever it takes, man. Seriously. We have so much to be thankful for. And and so often we get in these funks where we can't see it. And so it's always good to have a friend that will speak some truth into your life sometimes. Say, dude, you have a lot to be thankful for, actually. Another thing that you can do is when God does something in your life, 
write it down. Put it somewhere so that you can go back to that thing. And I say this all the time, but one of my most treasured possessions are the various cards and notes that I've gotten from you guys. And so last year for Pastor Appreciation, that was actually the point. I have them on this little ring, you know, all the little things that you guys wrote on those cards. And when I'm having a hard moment, one of the things that I do often is turn to that thing. Because those are things that God has done for me. Right? It's like, that, that's cool. That's this thing here. I, I forgot all about that. And I suggest that you do the same. The other thing I'd say is journals are your friends. We've totally gotten out of this habit of writing things down. Uh, if the world blows up tomorrow and people are looking through civilization, they're going to have to put everything about us together using other things besides the written word. There will be no writings. And so they're basically going to think that everything that they see in science fiction movies and reality television is true. Just ponder that for a moment. It's good to write things down, folks. And if you need a journal, if that's something that you don't have, I can hook you up. You just need to give me probably a couple weeks. But if you want that, come talk to me afterwards, and, and I will make sure that you have what you need. Because it's important to write the things down that God's done for you. The things he's doing, the things that he's teaching you, all this stuff, so that we can monitor our progress, right? That's part of good practice. We talked about that last week, is the ability to monitor our progress. The only way you can do that is if you have record of it. If you have some place where you can go and say, oh, I forgot that I was dealing with that. And I'm not dealing with that anymore. Yay, God, you're awesome. Right? Cool. You still with me? Okay, good. We're almost done. I would bust out more Laffy Taffy if I had it, but I don't. So the last one we have is meditation on his creation. And I just have to be completely honest with you. This is my favorite. This is my personal favorite. There's something about God's creation that just does something to me when I ponder. When I look, I don't know how you can't look out into the stars at night and claim that a God doesn't exist. I just, I personally don't see how that's possible. But we have this verse here in Luke that's more earthly-centered, talking about God's creation. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Hopefully a lot, right? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And I love the retort here. (laughs) Well, if you're not even able to do something as small as that. So that's considered a small thing in God's economy. Adding something, something to the span of your life. If you can't even do that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That's meditating upon God's creation. Here's a great way to do it. This is, this is personal. Go to the Hubble Telescope website. Unless you have stars available to you at all times. And check out just some of the latest images of our universe that have been coming back. Yeah. I have this big book at home on my coffee. Well, it's under my coffee table right now. But it's huge, and it's called Cosmos. And you open it up, and it's just huge pictures of galaxies and stars. You're like, well, you are a space case, so that makes a lot of sense. True. However, when you start to think about how huge some of those things are, And you start to think about the fact that our Father holds all those things in His hand. That there's a mind out there that could even conceive these things. The way that stars are born. The way that stars uh, 
go through this lifespan, the way that stars become black holes. What are black holes? I don't know. Science thinks they do, but they don't know that they know for sure. And yet there's God out there, and he's just like, I know. And I ain't telling you. But you can point to these things and say, God, you made that. And yet you still love me. You made that, and you care about my destiny. You made that, and yet you sent your son for me. It's very humbling. There's a part of that that resizes us and puts us in our place. And all of those things that we might have been worried about that Jesus talks about here. And problems are real. I get it, man. I'm not trying to say that there aren't real problems in our lives. There are real problems. But we have a very real God, too. Another thing you can do, if you can get near some stars at night, just go outside and open up Psalm 104 and try reading that bad boy aloud. You see if you make it through. Or take one of the scriptures on the screen and rewrite it in your own words. There's lots of room in meditation on God for creativity. And that's probably not something in the church environment that's said enough. But our God is a creative God, and he invites us to do the same. He wants to connect with us. He knows that we're not all made in the same way. It's like that whole thing where people say, well, Pastor Bill, what Bible translation should I get? And the answer is the one that you will read. The same is true with this. Fine. Don't give up. Don't try one thing and say, oh, that wasn't for me. I'm done. This is so important, folks. So important for us to try and connect with God. And again, the the point of meditation is that it always directs us to him, attaches us to his character and to the word. Those are very important things. And so... We're going to try it. That's how we're going to wrap things up today. So, it's daylight. We can't go out and see the stars right now, unfortunately. Well, we could go see one, but it would be really uncomfortable. So, (laughs) hey, the dad jokes just keep on coming. Um, I told you I can't help it. It just is what it is. So, my kids are really glad that I get to do this and get a lot of them out of my system. So, here's what we're going to do. We are going to, to try this. Together, I don't have the ability to take you guys out and look at stars, so I have the next best thing. Next best thing, I'm going to bring the stars in here. But in order to do this, I think we need to prepare our hearts a little bit. So, um, if you guys are going to bring the lights down, but don't start the video yet, I want you guys to, to get comfortable and um, maybe close your eyes for just a second. And we're just going to take a, a few breaths together. This may seem uncomfortable for you, and and that's okay. Just roll with it. It'll be really good. So, okay, inhale. And exhale. Inhale. And exhale. One more time. Inhale. And exhale. Father God, we are humbled by your presence. And the constant reminder, God, that you are in all places at all times. That you long 
to be connected with us. So, Father, I just ask in this moment as we set aside just a little bit of time this morning that you would work in our hearts, that you would reveal things about your character and your nature, and that ultimately, God, we would be drawn into you and that you could do all the good work in us that you want to. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you go ahead and start the video now. God who made the universe and everything in it and who is Lord in heaven and earth does not live in man-made temples nor is he served by human hands as if he lacked something since it is he himself who gives life and breath and everything to everyone Acts 17 24 through 25. Yeshua is the visible image of the invisible God. He is supreme over all creation because in connection with him were created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, lordships, rulers, or authorities. They've all been created through him and for him. He existed before all things, and he holds everything 
together. Adonai, our Lord, how glorious is your name throughout the earth. The fame of your majesty spreads even above the heavens. From the mouths of babies and infants at the breast, you established strength because of your foes, in order that you might silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you concern yourself with them? Humans that you watch over them with such care? You made him but a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You had him rule what your hands made. You put everything under his feet, sheep and oxen, all of them. Also, the animals in the wilds, the birds in the air, the fish in the sea. Whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Adonai, our Lord, how glorious is your name throughout the earth. You are worthy, Adonai Elohenu, to have glory, honor, and power, because you created all things. Yes, because of your will, they were created and came into being. Father God, one more time, we come before you this morning and thank you for being a good, good father. I pray, God, that you would help us to stop, to slow down our lives so that we don't miss that connection that we need with you. Father, I thank you That instead of putting us on just some planet that we could survive on, you chose to surround us with beautiful reminders of who you are. Reminders in the heavens, reminders on the earth, God, and even the reminders that are sitting next to us. We love you and we thank you. And again, I thank you for the dads that are here and just pray that they'd have a special blessing today as they go. And all of these things are in the name of your son. Amen.